0: Hello, I'm Mallory Rubin.
1: And I'm Van Lathan.
0: Check out the Ringerverse podcast from The Ringer for all things superhero movies, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment.
1: We have instant reviews
2: and fun takes on all the latest news and more available now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modello, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
1: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Ringer NFL show. I'm Nora Princiati. I'm here as always with Mallory Rubin, and I've got good news and bad news. Bad news is that the Seattle Seahawks are three and eight. (laughs) The good news is we've got Danny Kelly here to do a little Seahawks therapy and talk about what has gone wrong with us. Danny. Yeah. Hello. How's it going? Welcome, oh. DK.
1: It's going excellent. I wish excellent. we
2: were meeting under happier circumstances. <laughs> I know.
1: When you guys uh, messaged me, I was like, do we have to? But also, it's going to be therapeutic. It's going to be nice. Let's talk it out. Let's kind of get to the bottom of this. Um, maybe it'll make help me move on, move forward with my life. Things like that.
2: As our listeners will, will uh, be brought into over the course of this pod, Mal and I slacked Danny about coming on this show and and talking about the Seahawks with us. And one of Danny's responses was, yes, I'll drop some brief notes in a Google Doc. (laughs) Not very long after I opened up that very Google Doc and there were just pages Pages. of missed draft picks and free agent signings written
0: down with commentary. So the commentary the could be the entire in. pod. Just <laughs> select readings of Danny's parentheticals. <laughs> well, we did consider just letting Danny like
2: read read Seahawks transactions Maybe we from still the will. last five years for like, I don't know, 40 minutes. We run the tape, we stop it. Just just put it up, put it out there. Just
1: a long list. Uh I'm not gonna lie. I this is literally my process. I poured a, a stiff drink. And what drink? Just whiskey on the rocks. What and kind of then whiskey?
0: We need the details, you know.
1: uh that, Well, that's what really brings my, a scene to life. My usual choice, yeah, is bourbon the, man, rye man. I'm a, I'm a scotch guy. Scotch okay. guy or Irish whiskey, either one, I like a lot. Okay. Um, Got it. And not gonna lie, I just go with like the Costco generic stuff. um So there's a Costco brand the, scotch, the, the, like, like a brand, blended right? scotch. Yes, it's like Kirkland blended scotch. Great wine. It's I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. It's good. Like I have some good scotch, but like the Kirkland stuff is pretty good, especially if you're drinking it on the rocks. Like, I I'll go with like the better stuff, to, like Neater. or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'm not but... surprised
0: by that at all. <laughs> yeah, is you this know. the same logic you're gonna use to talk yourself into the path to rebuilding the Seahawks? Not gonna <laughs> Speaking lie. Speaking Kirkland there. brand supplies, it's fine,
1: really. <laughs> this has I been the like Kirkland spotless. Kirkland brand roster construction for the Seahawks here. Um, <laughs> But wait, yeah. okay, so you so pour a stiff drink
2: and you just,
0: like, and, and write I, a bunch of names I, down.
1: I went back, because, like, sometimes it's, like, hard to remember all the actual moves. I had to, like, go and Google, like, Seahawks free agent classes and, like, remember some of these things. I had no memory of a few people, which says a lot. Um, and so it was just, like, a cathartic thing. I went and, and made the lists, um, tried to remember, like, what happened with all these players, and it was very hard to remember any of them. Um, I said to you guys... I don't know how the Seahawks have a roster right now. I don't know where they got all their players because they certainly didn't get any of them from the draft or from free agency. <laughs> so where <laughs> these players come from? I don't know.
0: Oh, but boy. like their
1: drafts and their free agent classes over the last like seven, eight years have been, I mean, you could argue the worst in the NFL, like straight up atrocious. So we're going to get into it. But um that's like kind of like the foundation for what we're going to talk about.
0: Or the absence of the foundation, crucially.
1: Yeah. The, the lack of a foundation. Yeah.
2: I'm just picturing DK like holding a glass of whiskey, sipping, sipping in this like majestic, <laughs> relaxed space. And you know that all he's thinking about is like Eddie Lacey. <laughs> yeah.
0: But here, here's the thing. You know, we're sitting here with each other. It's December 2nd. Spotify Wrapped season, and I think Danny should really lean in and make Spotify Wrapped cards for all of these draft classes and free agency <laughs> classes. You, know, you spent X hilarious. number of minutes with this busted offensive line pick. You are in the top one percent of viewers of this person's tape.
1: Your 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 most listened to genres are old, oh like bad. Off-ball linebacker prospects that probably shouldn't have been taken in the first round. No, actually, the off-ball linebacker is like your one of the audio
0: ones. aura is. You need to <laughs> run the ball more. <laughs> oh
1: man! What um, was your audio aura? Mine idea. was
0: hopeful and wistful, which I was delighted to see.
1: I don't remember, <laughs> it was but my it was actual like rep. The, the color mine. was like green and blue. For me, mine
2: was hopeless romantic. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. That makes sense. This all tracks out. That checks out. It checks out. <laughs>
2: All right. So what we're going to do, instead of just having Danny Uh, read failed draft picks and free agency signings in order, we should consider it. (laughs) We're going to go through sort of three basic questions of uh, where are we? How do we get here? And and how do we move forward? Uh, We'll start with. Is this, in fact, the end of an era? an era of Seahawks (laughs) football dominated by Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, John Schneider. We will move on to what specifically happens with Russell Wilson. And then we'll talk a little bit about, you know, if, if it is indeed the end of an era and Seattle needs to rebuild, or if they just need to rebuild to not continue to have losing seasons, which it seems like they're on their way to Mm. uh, where they kind of go from here. But Danny, will you give us your take for starters on is this truly the end of this last glorious era of of Seahawks <laughs> football, because if they do indeed finish with a losing record, it would be the first time in ten seasons uh, yeah, that they've yeah. done so or finished worse than second in the division?
1: um I think, yeah, generally speaking, it does feel like it. I think for the first time in a long time, in like a decade, i'm pretty I feel confident that Russell may try to leave the Seahawks may try to force a a trade. I've talked about this in the past. Like he's looked at what Tom Brady has done. Um, You know, obviously he didn't force a trade, but he went to a new team that was very committed to like building around him. All this stuff gave him like, gave him the world, let him pick all these players and bring Gronk back and all this stuff. Um, He's seen what Matt Stafford did, forcing a trade out of Detroit where obviously Stafford didn't feel any sense of a future there. Um, Didn't feel like the team was like building a contender around him and he forced a trade to, and got to the Rams, obviously a few weeks ago probably would have looked a little different because now things are kind of going off the rails in LA. But like generally speaking, I, I think Russell Wilson, who um, whether you believe it, whether I believe it, he believes that he is going to be like an all timer and he wants his legacy to be one of the greatest players of all time wins multiple Super Bowls, blah, blah, blah. He definitely believes that like any, anybody that's watched him talk, like he clearly believes this. Um And I think that that's why, this could end up going this way. However, I think I'm I'm leaving the door open like the fact that that might not happen. I mean, he's still under contract. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it does feel like the end of an era for sure. Which is weird. It's bizarre.
2: If that is the case, then I think there's an interesting discussion about, okay, wait, how did we wind up here, right? Because we've (laughs) talked so much about the scheme, particularly the offensive scheme whether or not Russ is cooking or not (laughs) yep. over the years and whether or not they've been able to maximize his talents. And I think usually that discussion is centered around how they're choosing to play, not necessarily who they're choosing to play with. Right. Right. And I get the sense, Danny, from what you've provided us. (laughs) Yeah. That you think the personnel might actually be the issue.
1: Yeah, it, I think it is. It's actually been it's so funny because the scheme stuff, which has been annoying, like oh, like what's the best scheme for winning? What is what's maximizing the talent they have on this team? That's been sort of the discussion over the last few, last few years, but it's been a red herring for what's really going on, which is the gradual, slow degradation of the roster, the, the talent on the roster, the depth on the roster, the found like like we said before, like the foundation they've built this thing on sand, <laughs> and. It's that sand is like washed away. Like there's nothing now. Um, Not nothing, but like the team overall is just not very good, not very talented, not very deep. Um, The defense has really eroded over the years, like the talent on both sides of the ball, all that stuff. So, um, and I think the bottom line is if you look at, like I said, their draft classes and their free agent classes over the last six, seven years, you can see exactly why the Seahawks have won three games. There's like three teams in the NFL who have worse records than the Seahawks right now. And it's like all these, atrocious teams you know um and the cx have gotten there and not because of a few bad bounces or a few like bad plays obviously russell wilson got hurt that's not going to help anything but um i think it's it's a bigger issue it's a bigger problem that really um all this stuff all this bad decision making has caught up to them and with wilson playing not very well right now Instead of him elevating a bad roster or a middling roster and making it a, a like a twelve win team like he did last year, because that defense was bad last year, you know, straight up. Even though they did improve in the second half, um, now it's like Russell is not playing well, and the wheels have fallen off this thing. You know, there's no other redundant. There's no redundancy um, because of that like slow degradation of the of the of the whole roster in general.
2: It wasn't that long ago that we looked at the Seahawks as one of the better drafting teams, even though there's no such thing, but at least Mm -hmm. as a team that had had a lot of success through the draft, had built a team that, you know, built a Super Bowl team through the draft and had some core philosophies about the types of players that they liked to draft that seemed like they were having a lot of success with. So when you look at their last several drafts, are there common threads that you think tie together some of the, the missed picks or is there something that you think they're doing wrong or are they just getting unlucky?
1: Um, I think a a little bit of all of that. Yeah. Like uh, early on in the Seahawks drafting history with John Schneider, Pete Caro, like they were able to go kind of zig while Everyone else was zagging. They were able to identify players that didn't fit like the standard for a lot of teams. And like cam chancellor, just like this massive safety who hits really hard. They had a place for him in their defense, Uh, Richard Sherman really long. Um, You know, not very fast or whatever, based on like l- a lot of like the uh, metrics that teams would use back then, but they had a place for them. They had a, a scheme that really fit in perfectly and all that stuff. So um, early on, they were able to hit on a remark like all time great draft classes, right? Like historic right. draft classes. And that definitely carried them. That set a good foundation for the roster for like five years. Um, lately, the Seahawks have, the Seahawks. I don't, I wouldn't say there's like one thing that they've done wrong, but they have had a, I would say, a propensity to ignore some of the nerdy analytics stuff that a lot of fans, the Seahawks fans, would want them to do, like drafting. Like, they would dra- like for instance, LJ Collier. He's an older, non-pass-rushing defensive end they took in the first round. Rashad Penny, running back in the first round. Like, this Don't one's Don't let Horlbeck hear you. Um, God, I know. Yeah. San Diego State, shouts. Um, also, like, that one drives everyone crazy because Nick Chubb went, like, a few picks later. It's like, yeah. come the hell on. Like, yeah. God damn it. Um, so, and then like before that, a a lot of the stuff that they did, and and Josh Snyder talked about this before, like the the NFL, the league pushes teams to eight and eight, um, because of the way that the league is set up. Number one, they are drafting late in the round for like six or seven straight years. You're just Mm -hmm. generally speaking, not going to get as good of prospects in the late, later in the round. Um, the schedule that they face, like you're facing good schedules every year because you're le- you're a division winner, blah blah blah. Like all these things push teams to eight and eight, and you have to like to escape the gravity of that. You have to draft well, you have to make savvy moves in free agency, and you have to develop well. All that stuff. Like the Seahawks have fallen off on all that stuff lately. They're not drafting well. Um, they're making really easy mistakes, like this last draft, which I'm still gonna uh, like. The last two drafts, I would say is TBD, but like, right. sure, I was dry. It, it drove me crazy that they picked Wayne Estridge. Because it was like, this guy's 24, he played at a lower level, he's not very like he's small, like these are all the the classic mistakes that teams make. He was a late uh, a late bloomer in college at a low level. It's like all these things like, but like you can get away with a few of these things here and there, but like the Seahawks have continually like gone against what like analytics would say, and I think it's come back to bite them over the years.
0: Danny, I'm curious, you know, to that point specifically about drafting because of their sustained success in the portion of the round where you're just, you know, inherently not going to have access to the the top tier prospects. Yeah. I'm curious to, I mean, I mean, that is obviously like just true, right? That is intuitive and that is a, a fact, but isn't it also true to, you know, circle back to what Nora w- was observing and asking about a few minutes ago? That one of the keys to the Seahawks drafting success, you know, before the dip was that they were able to identify consistently Mm -hmm. the prospects who weren't just in the top, you know, 10 or top five or whatever of the draft that, you know, if you look at something like the 2012 year, of course, as this fulcrum moment, not only across the league, but for their team where you're getting of course, like Wilson in the middle rounds, Bobby Wagner, that was the preserving draft, like Mm -hmm. all of this, the night, the spark stuff, the Nike spark stuff, right. And how the Seahawks were the poster team for that movement of studying the, you know, Kevin our, our guy, our colleague, Kevin Clark has written about this many times over the years at the ringer, like how the Seahawks became the face of this draft movement built around specifically focused on, focusing on explosiveness and athletic traits, and that that was so core to how they were able to, like you're saying, like zag, right? Is it that they have- Spark with a Q. (laughs) Spark with a Q. Is it that, so is it, you're you're noting, of course, the reluctance to embrace the analytics movement. So that's central, right, as a consideration. But specifically with something like the ability to identify the prospects who are going to be able to fit into what they're trying to do and make a difference, how much of it is that other teams caught up or past them, and how much of it is that the Seahawks, with the same brain trust, that Snyder-Carroll brain trust that has been there for this decade of excellence, have stopped being able to actually pinpoint the players who are going to be able to excel for them.
1: Yeah. I think there's, like, the first point where teams caught up, I think that's definitely a thing. And, And, I mean, if you look at the Seahawks, so in 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, Seahawks had like a historic defense, one of the best defenses of all time. They, they were really, really consistent for like three or four straight years. And that obviously spawned copycats and across the league, a bunch of teams started playing the Seahawks brand of football, like their assistants got hired um, and it spread across the league. And then all of a sudden everybody's looking for the next Richard Sherman. You got, Mm -hmm. um, you know, teams taking, reaching on, on players that aren't really that good, frankly, because they're tall and have long arms. Um, and they're like, oh, this guy can fit into our scheme, even though he maybe doesn't have great instincts or can't, doesn't have ball skills, things like that. Um, and so you saw that sort of spread around the league. And so the Seahawks edge, all of a sudden that's like getting dull Mm -hmm. and, um, the athletic stuff, I think that's still something they do and it's important to them. But like, also they I think there was a few years there where they had all these freakish athletes that, um, you know, were the top of their spark list, like, I'm not even kidding. Like we were running the field goals blog back in the day. Yeah. We identified like like four of their draft picks in one year as like highly probable <laughs> to take these guys. Like because this late round guy. Yeah, because yeah. Spark, they were so high on Spark, like they were definitely going off Spark. Um, in terms of like this guy is super explosive. We can coach him into a good player. Right. Most of those didn't work. What out.
2: draft was that, Danny? Do you
1: remember? Um, so in twenty twelve. Guy like, uh, I think J.R. Sweezy is super athletic. They decided they want to, he's a defensive lineman. They're going to try and turn him into a into an offensive lineman. Um, and then in 2013, 2014, there was definitely some guys that were like super, super athletic that just weren't very good at football. So, and then 2015 was the big one. Um, Christian Socoli, for Seahawks fans who remember, he was a six round pick. He's like this random no one that no one had ever heard of, but he was a three sigma athlete. In other words, he was like, Three standard deviations, like more athletic than other players at his position. No one ever heard of this guy, and we're like, "This, the Seahawks are going to love this guy," and they picked him in the sixth round. So that was like kind of one <laughs> example. Um, and Man, then okay. they turned him; they tried to turn him into an offensive lineman. Um, and but like generally speaking, like most of their like, uh, this guy's a really good athlete. We're going to turn him into a football player. Those didn't really work. It just didn't happen for them. So then they got away from it. And I think also like one thing with the Seahawks is they're drafting. Um, has been very reactive to what happened the year before whereas instead of keeping like one philosophy like the Ravens have established sort of their philosophy and this is probably why they hit so often on later picks they're drafting in the late round and they still happen to have great drafts right Um, Right. because they have their philosophies they have their like and that ported over from
0: Newsom to the DaCosta era and has been like a consistent through line of their approach yeah
1: and the Seahawks have seemed to be like, oh, God, this was, like, a problem for us last year, so we got to, like, do this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, really? that was why I think they picked Rashad Penny. was like, oh, we had injuries at running back last year. It was really bad for us. It hurt us. So we're going to take this guy, Rashad Penny, who, at the time, they were like, this guy has the best, according to our injury metric, he's, like, the most healthy guy, like, or whatever. Like, that was a big part of, like, the reason they picked him. And then, ironically, he's just been hurt his entire career. So, um, I don't know, a lot of the stuff they do is sort of like reactionary to like what happened last year instead of just sticking to a philosophy and and building for the long term. They're like, we got to do this this year to like make it work or whatever. Um, and I think a lot of it, basically like the big picture is they've been trying to use duct tape and paper clips to like keep this thing together while Russell Wilson's in his prime. And I was actually talking to a buddy of mine um, who covers the Seahawks and he, was, he he pointed out that it was sort of like the Ryan Grigson era Colts. And I was like, holy mm. shit, it was. Like, everything that you look at, and Gregson actually worked for the Seahawks, by the way, in, like, 2019. Um, but, like, uh, it was just, like, signing bad old free agents uh, that, that didn't pan out. Um, you know, making bad trades, making, like, reactionary moves. Um, and basically just, like, the, the roster fell apart around Luck. Luck was able to, like, keep it rolling because he was Luck. Right. Um, but, like, the bottom fell out at one point. Right. And, and it was just like, there was no talent on this roster. So it's like, kind of like with the, that. That's kind of like a, I think a very interesting parallel with the Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that.
2: Well, speaking of free agency, we went through the draft.
1: <laughs> yeah. And obviously,
2: that hasn't been great. But uh, without putting words in your mouth, DK, seems like you think that free agency is, is really where the struggles have been. Would you be so kind as to walk us through <laughs> the last several years of yes. Seahawks free agencies?
1: I think, yeah, it's like people kind of get distracted by the terrible drafting. Like the Seahawks free agency has been arguably worse. You know, which is saying something because the Seahawks (laughs) have gotten like very few contributors.
2: Let Russ Cook distracts from the fact (laughs) that the actual issue is the personnel, but then the bad drafts within the personnel distract from the fact that free agent signings and trades have not been good either.
1: Yeah. I think the thing that Seahawks have done is uh, basically they instead of instead of signing like one really good, young, big impact guy that can like help their team, they so like instead of spending $10 million on like a good receiver, they're like, we're we're going to use that 10 million to sign five really shitty, like mm. free agents that are like, for whatever reason have fallen out of favor with their team. Like, so going back to 2017, the Seahawks famous uh, free agent class included Eddie Lacey who didn't do anything. Uh, Luke Jokel who I think was coming off of a knee injury and then he was terrible. Um, they signed Blair Walsh. Their, their one good signing was Bradley McDougald, who was really good for a while. Right. But Then they traded him for uh, Jamal Adams. Yeah. His name later, will come up again. <laughs> later down the, st- yeah, down the line, 2018 draft Foreshadowing. class.
0: Foreshadowing. Yeah. So
1: their 2018, uh, sorry, free agent class. Uh, defensive tackle Tom Johnson, who uh, when I put these notes together, I, I literally have no, memory of, <laughs> Karen, these, in, I have no memory of this person. Don't remember. That's a
2: parenthetical in the person. notes. It just <laughs> says it's incredible. DT Tom Johnson, I have no memory of this person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> By the way, and then I, I looked it up. It, so he was he signed in the office. He, he's like he's he was a very good player for a long term for the Vikings. Um, And then he came over to the Seahawks in, in the summer, or whatever, in the free agent market. And the Seahawks tried. They, they were like, we're going to cut you because we don't want to pay you your guaranteed salary during the year. But the understanding was like a wink, wink deal was you're going to come back and we'll sign you. Once waivers clear or whatever, because they didn't want his full contract guaranteed. It was some stupid thing. And then he was like, you know what? Fuck you guys. And then he went and signed with the Vikings again. So even though I include him, because I was basically just like, these are like 2018, like free agent class. Like he was included, but he actually never even played for the Seahawks. Um,
0: Shamar Steven,
1: another former Viking sea bass who I had forgotten was on the Seahawks. (laughs) Uh, DJ fluker who was fine. Barquevious Mingo. I mean, come on. Like in and, and uh Nate Tice, buddy of mine, pointed this out. Like the Seahawks basically sort their their free agent classes by arm length and uh previous draft like status or whatever. So like right. Seahawks signed a whole bunch of like former washed out first round picks. Thinking yeah. That they could yep, yep, yep. fix these guys. Um, and it just never really worked out. Ed Dixon, I think he was injured the entire yeah. time. Mal, you remember Raven. him?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Of course. Um,
1: 2019, Ezekiel Anza. He was injured the whole time. Another former first round pick they thought they could rehabilitate. Uh, they signed a kicker, Jason Myers, to a four year contract. Um, Mike Ayupati. For he was $15 million. Dollars. The Seahawks, again, it's like everything that goes against the analytics. Like they keep giving all these kickers big money deals, even though like kickers are notoriously inconsistent year over year. Um, 2020 free agent class, Greg Olson. Was hurt pretty much the entire time. Cedric O'Bui, he's still on the team, I believe, and he hasn't been good. Brandon Sh- uh, Snell, he's been fine. BJ Finney, they traded him almost immediately. Chance Warmack, former first round bust, didn't do shit. Philip Dorsett, former first round bust, didn't do shit. <laughs> like this, this, this is the the pattern here. Basically, they're like, we're gonna sign a bunch of like middling to bad players. We'll spend yeah. all of our cap. All of our remaining cap, instead of signing one big, good impact player. Um, and I think, by the way, the reason they had to do this is because their draft classes suck. They have no depth. So they need to sign these middling right. veterans, this middle class veteran right. f- like type players to fill out their roster because otherwise they don't have any players on the roster.
0: This uh, C- Cedric, by the way, current currently a, a Raven. Mm-hmm. Um, it's oh, he's on the Ravens n- now?
1: Oh, my bad. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> not to know.
0: notice. As you're talking, t- two observations. One,
1: yeah,
0: uh, you know, Danny, you of course host uh, our wonderful, your you co-host our, our wonderful fantasy football show, and so you'll be familiar with this. I can't help but, but think, as you're describing this, that this sounds a lot like how I consistently botch my fantasy football teams. <laughs> you know, instead of spending big on the star, yes. spread out my money on a bunch of mediocre players who won't make an impact, then later try to fix it all with a trade for a guy I'm sure is going to be good because of where he was once drafted. Not <laughs> ideal.
1: <laughs> By the way, the Seahawks signed Adrian Peterson yesterday. Just going to throw that out there.
0: I was like, gonna what is that going to
1: do? Come
0: on. Bless Pete for saying, you know, what was it like? We finally got him like going (laughs) back to the old college recruiting days. Pete,
2: I really would love to be in the meeting where they make the decision to do that.
0: Because it's just like, what are you like? Okay, yeah, let's go for it. This is a good idea, right? It's a head scratcher in December of 2021. (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah but the yeah. other the other observation i was going to make dk just off of what you've sketched out so far is that this will this will be maybe an obvious thing to note but it's not just that there's not one key thing like you've noted a few times oh This is something people point to, but it's distracting from this. This distracts from X, distracts from Y, you know, Mm -hmm. a distracts from B or like what you mentioned earlier about the scheme issues actually being a red herring for the personnel issues. Like, I guess what I would would ask is. One. It's it's not that all of these things are happening at once. It's that they compound each other, right? So the effect yeah. becomes exponential. Like if you can't paper over your bad drafting with effective trades and free agency, then you can't field a successful roster or a competitive roster in the NFL period, right? But it's like they're not mutually exclusive either, right? So to the red herring point, and I guess we can maybe circle back to some of the scheme stuff in a bit when we like look ahead and talk about what needs to happen to actually fix this and how much of this is maybe an aberration and how much of this is like the reason for sustained concern. But is the schema a red herring for the personnel issues or are these both problems that exacerbate each other because a scheme that is maybe not being properly executed in the modern day 2021 NFL definitely can't function if you don't have the personnel in place to do exactly what Pete Carroll yeah. or maybe to a lesser extent Shane Waldron wants to do
1: yeah I think that's a great point I think it's actually yeah I, I like red herring is not the right term because um it makes all me these think things... of,
0: of literature though so I love it you know I love it
1: <laughs> it, it is a tr- sort of just here. like it's, a it's slight journey. of hand though it is sleight of hand because one th- like it's just like you we all get and I say we like at Seahawks Twitter like we all get really in arms about one thing and then, you know, whatever. But, like, we, we've we changed over the years what we're mad about. And, and we're just constantly mad, even though they've been generally a really good team. And I acknowledge that. Um, well, that's just
0: fandom, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, I mean, have you seen the Seahawks play? Like, it's the most painful experience in the world, um, even when they win. So, I guess, like, um, I guess what I was going to say there is, like, yes. It, one thing that I've kind of said consistently over the years is with the Seahawks, um, Philosophically, I think just like Pete Carroll, his his defense especially, but his offense mm-hmm. also. I think it can, it it goes it it bleeds into the offense. Is defensively they're not a complex team. They've said like players have said this like right. everyone knows what we're playing. You know we're playing right. cover three, and that's changed over the years. Obviously they've started to adapt, but generally speaking, I would not say that they're a complex uh team that like does a lot of deception and hides what they're trying to do you know things like that they're not like all lining up and in, in sugaring the a gaps and
2: they're not really a game plan defense it's not really like oh correct. here's this is yes. our opponent we're gonna significantly change the scheme on a week-to-week basis most teams to only a few teams really truly do that but they absolutely just sort of
1: they uh, line yeah, up absolutely. play what they're gonna play they're the antithesis of the the Patriots and Bill Belichick who changed the, the game plan every week. It's basically what Pete, what Pete Carroll says is, and I don't know if he explicitly says this, but we're going to line up and our guys are going to be more disciplined and be better than your guys. And we're going to win because we're consistent. We play hard, we run and we tackle well and and do all that stuff. We have
2: really long arms.
1: And then, the, yeah, exactly. We ha- win we on those margins. But like over the years, the talent has clearly degraded. And playing boring, general, like really basic coverages, these players aren't executing them better than the def- better than the offense. And offensively, it's the same deal. Like you know, the CX fandom has been like clamoring for more deception. Like it's my sort, my thing is like just use deception, use play action. They do use play action now; it's improved. Um, but like more motion, more things like that. Like they 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 have sprinkled this in and gradually sort of added stuff. But like I just want more because. They don't, frankly, have the talent on the offensive line. They don't have the depth. They have good, two good receivers, but they don't have the depth in receivers to like great run receivers. these really. Yeah, they don't have the depth yeah. to like run these really basic things. Like they need to get more. They just need to like use more smoke and mirrors and help the help the other guys out. In other words, um, so it like you said it, to bring it all full circle, it's all connected. The lack of talent on the team has made. It, more difficult for them to run these sort of like and it's all relative clearly i'm not saying like they are running a high school defense but they're relative to some other defenses like it's sort of like we're going to run our stuff right. their offense is the same deal we're going to run our stuff we're going to execute on third down guess what you well, suck on third down yeah. like you're you're literally the worst <laughs> the worst, the worst, worst <laughs> team in the, yeah. <laughs> the league so i don't Very know that, i think that's all it's all connected
2: So let's use that to talk about what happens with Russ now, because I I don't think he's not having a good season. I do not think that it is fair to pin the Seahawks struggles on him. He is still Russell Wilson. I think obviously as DK, you just did such a great job of, of describing it is really the deterioration of the situation around him. That's leading to this, but it does create this situation where it feels like, the team is no longer a good match for him. Like they're in mm-hmm. different places.
1: It does. That's yeah.
2: that said he's still been there for a long time. He's been a part of that infrastructure for the most part. They've been very, very successful. Yeah. It, it seemed like you said off the top that you think he could genuinely leave this off season.
1: I'm starting to believe he can. I, everything that you hear, whether that's through like, you know, his agent planting stuff or whatever. I don't know, like, exactly what's happening here, but, like, it's pretty clear. Both sides, especially last offseason, both sides were sort of planting things in the media and, you know, talking about, like, there was a report, like, Russell will play for these five teams, you know? Like, where's that coming from? Clearly from Russell's camp. Right. Um,
0: And the ultimate explanation, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but was in essence... Didn't ask for a trade, but yes, it's correct that those were the four teams I said I would be willing to be traded to. I would play for the Cowboys, Saints, Raiders, and Bears, but I didn't ask to be traded.
1: There's enough smoke and there's enough, there is enough like just obvious stuff that's happened over the last few years. There just seems to be, it's like this weird um, friction where uh, like the best teams I would say generally like the quarterback and the coaching staff and everyone is on the same page about like what scheme we're running, like what's the best fit for us. Um like I don't know, you know just it, it everyone's on the same page like this is what we this is how we win, this is what we do, like this is the best way to do it and we're going to do it this way. With the Seahawks, it's been for years like here's how Pete wants to do it and here's how Wilson wants to do it and it's like just constant constant discord between the two. Um and the big catchphrase this offseason was, like, tempo. Yeah, okay. Like, they talked about <laughs> tempo all offseason. Like, the, the players were super excited about it. Like, it was, like, a legit yeah. thing. We're going to do tempo. We're going to do tempo. And it's, like, no, like, tempo doesn't matter if you can't convert on third down. Their whole offense is, like, predicated on converting on third down because they like to run on early downs, like, at a higher rate right. than a lot of teams. Like, that, that's, that's going to set up third down situations. You have to convert. Problem is, they suck on third down, as I said. And this isn't like a new thing. They've sucked at third down basically for the last four or five years. Um, so b- bottom line is there's like this very weird um, apparent discord between the, where the team, what the team wants Russell Wilson to do and the, what the offense is and what Wilson, I think, wants to do. I mean, Russ, dude, he trademarked let Russ cook. Right. Like, what do you think? <laughs> right. Do you think he doesn't want to do this? Like, of course right. he does. Right. No, um, he's feeding into this. Even if, by the way, maybe he's best off in a really balanced offense, like who knows? Like th- I maybe think maybe his up best for...
2: seasons in Seattle have come when they've also had a very good running yeah. game and are generally, able to be yeah, balanced. Generally May speaking,
1: have. I think they should pass more, but like maybe not to the point where they're, you know, trying to turn him into Tom Brady or whatever. But I think he believes that he he should be cooking. You know what I mean? And so right. that's the important thing. Um so To round it all out. Yeah, I think there's a very strong sort of uh, just incongruity or whatever between what the team wants to do, what Pete Carroll clearly wants to do, and he won't budge on that, really, um, and what Wilson wants to do.
2: It seemed like last last offseason, for at least a moment, Russ was unhappy. There was noise about the trade possibility. Then it kind of felt like they just said, well, we'll... We'll get you a Gabe Jackson and a Shane Waldron, and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And Russ was like, "Okay, I'll take a Gabe Jackson and a Shane Waldron. That'll be totally cool. Cool. Yeah. See you in see you in July. See you in July, Pete. <laughs> Let's run it back. And uh, so to me, that that always said something about okay, it can't have been that bad, right? Like Gabe Jackson." all love to Gabe Jackson, but Gabe Jackson cannot a deep, deep wound heal necessarily. (laughs) Right. Do you think that the problem from Russ's perspective would be, and the the problem I'm referring to is whatever is making it more likely that he could actually leave this offseason when there were some rumblings last offseason that ended up not to, to come to fruition. Do you think it's just that the wheels have really fallen off the bus and they're a lot worse and they're going to have this bad season and he's sick of losing and doesn't feel like he can win there anymore. Or do you think that there's been sort of disappointment with the ways in which they tried to placate him last year and how that's gone?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think like you said, I think that the Seahawks did sort of extend an olive all- branch in a few ways in terms of like what they did with personnel. They they didn't make any like massive, massive moves. Um, and I think it would have gone a little further if they would have traded for Odell Beckham, by the way, like that would have been a bigger olive branch. Like, I think a lot of people, honestly, in like the Seahawks sphere were thinking and believing. And I think I was one of them, like them going out and making a hard push, which apparently they did, uh, for Odell Beckham would be like a good way to kind of like keep Wilson in town long-term. The fact that they couldn't land Odell, like the Seahawks are not a destination anymore for all the reasons we stated above. Um, that I think could have outsized impact on kind of like the future of the team, even though, like, honestly, it might not have made that big of a difference, like in wins and losses this year. Um, it's just like the, the, just like the idea that they could go out and get a guy that would like elevate the offense. They need a third receiver, go get him. Um, I think it's kind of like the Rogers thing, you know, it's like are we trying to win or, you know, like, I I don't know, like, are you, are you going to try to maximize last few years of my prime? Things like that. And so I think, um, I think there was certainly some things they did like the Gabe Jackson trade, all that stuff, like signing Gerald Everett, I think was interesting. Um, you know, little stuff, but again, it was, it was nothing. There was no slam dunk move. And that's sort of like the, been the pattern over the years of, yeah, here's a patch here. Here's a duct tape here. Here's this, that, and the other. Um, but, you know, you, you look at some of the other teams that I'm sure he's looking at, like the Bucks. like they have just this elite, elite talent base. And right. he's like, I want to go play for a team like that, you know?
0: Danny, do right. you think like and, and Nora, I'm, I'm curious for both of your opinions on this. And this is like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe a silly thing to ask because it's impossible for us to know the answer. We are not uh, mind readers. But given like what we were talking about earlier the way Russ thinks and talks about his legacy, you know, the idea, despite everything from last season with the, the trade rumors and, and murmurs of wanting to be a lifer in Seattle, like, do you think that this is going to, that he would be comfortable with this being the final note on his Ooh. Seahawks tenure? Because, like, yeah. we haven't talked much about the the injury yet, right? And I, I think we, we have to for a minute, because despite I should say, you know, I'm not only am I not a mind reader, not a medical professional. (laughs) So with those caveats issued, I'll now continue. Despite the number of times that both Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll have said that the finger is fine, the hand is fine, that there's nothing to talk about here. He doesn't need more rest. He doesn't need more time to heal. It is I I would posit quite clear that he is not 100 percent and that he presumably came back a little too soon like he just has not been the same passer and the same player since he mm-hmm. came back from the injury you know they're own three in those games but just watching him play like the timing his timing is off He's just not as accurate like the deep ball has has been there right the, the connection weird. with Lockett, yeah. which is interesting but and like of course you could say wall the the like missing element or whatever has always been the intermediate throws. I mean, that came up to mm-hmm. go back to Waldron for a second. You know, Ben, our, mm-hmm. our colleague, Ben Solak wrote a wonderful piece earlier in the season about how the Waldron Seahawks marriage on the one hand presented all of this amazing opportunity, <laughs> the tempo point, et cetera. Right. Yeah. But also to go back to another point you've made, it's all really coming together today, the incongruity because so much of the Waldron McVeigh offense is anchored around those intermediate throws, which is, what Russ doesn't want to do, right? He wants to cook, mm-hmm. specifically cook deep, that faraway burner. <laughs> so, you know, uh, as one of the the nuggets that really stood out this week was like, this is from ESPN's uh, Brady Henderson. This mm-hmm. week had this in, in his piece. Quote, according to ESPN stats and information research, Wilson has the highest off-target rate among all qualified quarterbacks since his return in Week 10. So, again, like, it Ooh. just... <laughs> Seems reasonable to deduce that he is not at 100%. Not at 100%, right? I mean, DK Metcalf had one reception against Washington.
2: He's not taking snaps under center. Like, Mm -hmm. that had been an incredibly, even, you know, this has not been Russ's best season the entire way, right? But he had actually been very good from under centering at a 65% completion rate, 8.2 yards per attempt, 12 touchdowns, three interceptions. Mm Mm-hmm. He's not doing that because his finger hurts. (laughs) Because
1: my fingers hurt. Um, He
2: can't do it. He can't do a thing that he'd been very good about. So it's like impossible to say that the injury is not impacting him.
0: I don't think it is the issue, but I think it is clearly an issue. Right. So then if it, it is also reasonable to deduce then that that will improve, right? As he continues to heal, that his play will return to the standard that we expect. I mean, he just turned 33, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's not 23, but that's not 43 though. 43. Again, we're in the Tom Brady got, like, era, yeah, so I what mean, is 43 like... even really, right? He's yeah. got years uh, years ahead of him. So is this gonna be the way he wants things to end in Seattle or has it just soured and festered to the point where it's just going to be better for a fresh start. I'm just curious like what you two think about that aspect of it in terms of the decade-long union between player and franchise. Is it how he wants it to end? Probably not, but
2: it might be, you know, I don't think that choice is going to be presented to him in a vacuum. It's going to have to be weighed against, do you want to stick it out for what could either be if he does leave kind of a teardown style rebuild, or if he does stay, the difficult work of rejuvenating a roster that's really deteriorated that still has a star quarterback. And that's not an easy thing to do. I think right. the other thing is it, it just does feel like things have gotten stale there. And that's this like imprecise, sort of annoying thing to say. But the the big three of Russ, Carol, and Schneider. Yep. They've been there for a long time. They've had a ton of success, but if something needs to be shaken up there, Russ obviously wants to be in a, in a competitive environment and he might not see Seattle as that anymore based on what they have. And also to Danny's point about not being able to go get Odell, what they're able to get. Right. The other piece of that is that so Carol, so Russ, uh, Russ is under contract through 2023. Right. In theory, there could be, you know, there's technically an out for the Seahawks after this year. That is pretty irrelevant because if the Seahawks are not getting anything significant in return for Russ, this is not a conversation. Right. Um, right. Carroll's under contract through 2025. Schneider through 2027. They both got within the last like year and a half. They got extensions. So, those guys are kind of, they're there. I mean, Jody Allen is is not an owner that people have a lot of track record to right. pull from in terms of like how those types of decisions are going to get made. It's not like the Bears, right? Where you can go back decades and decades and decades and go, well, they don't fire midseason. They don't fire midseason. Like we don't sure. really know. Right. But I mean, 2027, right? Because look, the thing that we're pointing to more than anything else, is personnel here, John Schneider's not going anywhere. Like, I, I just really don't think that that's happening. Maybe I'm wrong, but one, I don't necessarily think that he should be. But two, 2027 is a long time from now. <laughs> so yeah. if the decision is would Russ wanna leave Seattle, where he's made his career and had so much success on a sour note? I think no. Right. But if the alternative is nothing else is really gonna change, at least not really quickly. Uh, then maybe you start to feel like, okay, well, there's not really that many other options. Also,
0: well, the landing spots too, though, right? Like, right. what's in the right. consideration set for where he could potentially go and which of those situations seem superior to him?
2: I mean, so it's probably, the list is probably Washington, Pittsburgh, Carolina, Denver, New Orleans, maybe Philly, maybe Miami. Cleveland? <laughs> Maybe
1: Cleveland. Oh, God, Cleveland. Wow. Cleveland's
2: kind of a fun
0: one to think about. Yeah. Care (laughs) going to Cleveland? Probably not. (laughs) I
1: don't think so.
0: But as a thought experiment, it's sort of interesting. Danny, what would
2: be, what kind of return for Russ would make you as a Seahawks fan okay? Is there anything?
1: Oh, I mean, I, like, people have asked me this, like, oh, how many first round picks do you want? No, like, you have to answer
0: this question. You have to answer this question two different ways, though, because you're yeah. a football analyst and you're going to look at this with you're going to look at this through that lens, and then you're also going to look at it just as a fan, right? Yeah. So, like, yes. what's the return that would actually be legitimate and not only palatable but like exciting in terms of what the team mm-hmm. could do, and then what would actually be necessary to appease fans, given what Russ means to the fan base? Those are probably think, not the same thing.
1: Yes, cor- I think that's correct. I think. I don't know. This is just off the top of my head, but generally speaking, like you would expect, at least the equivalent of three first-round picks. So either that means two actual first-round picks plus a player that's equivalent in value, I guess, to a first-round pick. Wouldn't oh that? Would you say that'd be like sort of the starting point? Um, or uh, a quarterback? Like they need they like in order another in, in order to get rid of him, it would have to be like to anything less than that, it'd have to be like you're getting a good quarterback back. Because otherwise you're starting at ground like ground zero and the Seahawks don't have exactly a good like track record of of picking quarterbacks. And also that leads me to my fan side, which is like there's no amount of picks you could give me that would make it like a fair pick. Because look at what the Seahawks have done with their freaking first round picks, like just light them on fire. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) right. You might as well just cut it. I
0: thought you were going to say because
2: Russell Wilson is my hero and a beloved athlete (laughs) in my life.
1: No, it's just like at this point, I have not I don't have faith that they would turn those draft picks into something that's equivalent to Russell Wilson in terms of value, you know, rebuilding the the roster, things like that, like evaluating quarterbacks like yeah. there's just not a good track record there, Um, you know, so I think that would be like kind of like the answer. But I, I would say like two to three first round picks at minimum.
2: So that is the 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 wonderfully optimistic note that leads us to our third and final question, which is. How does Seattle rebuild? And obviously we just mentioned that that takes on a a different tone, whether based on whether it's okay, you trade Russ and you have maybe a couple extra first round picks to work with to varying degrees of success and use that capital to actually tear this thing down to the studs and try to rebuild it versus if Russ stays presumably there's more of an attempt to remain competitive the entire time, but just gradually sort of find more ways to support and build around him. What Mm -hmm. do you think Danny is the single most important factor for Seattle to have a successful rebuild and get back to winning?
1: I think bottom line, I think they need to keep Russell Wilson. I think, I don't think it makes any sense for them to try and be like, Hey, it was a good run. We're going to rebuild. Like you said, Mal, he's thirty-three. Yeah. Like Matt Ryan's like thirty-six. I think Aaron Rodgers is like thirty-eight or thirty-nine. You know, freaking Tom Brady's forty-four. I'm not saying that Russell Wilson's going to age in the same way in terms of his skill set um, as some of these other quarterbacks, but like he's still got three, four years. Like I don't think you, I don't think NFL teams can think in any longer terms than like three, four years. Um, in terms of like the cyclical nature of the of the NFL, things like that. Like Russell Wilson can continue to play at a high level for three or four more years and, and to the to go back a little bit um you guys mentioned like the health of his finger like that's obviously something that's affecting him his his accuracy has been off like there uh i saw mike Sando made like a cut up of him just like sailing passes over receivers right. heads at like five yards like it's like bizarre however i will say russell wilson does he seems to do this like once a year where he just has two or three dog shit games mm-hmm. overall his his numbers are like electric and awesome and like very good historically he's like one of the most efficient quarterbacks of all time he he does have these games where you're like what is he doing he's like in a fugue state he's like he doesn't look like he knows how to play quarterback um he's like running around getting sacked and throwing the ball backwards you know he has one or two of these games every year so i think that's something that that's a piece of context we have to remember too like it's happened right in a row here and it's coming off an injury but it's also like he does seem to have these so i think bottom line with what I'm getting to is that I still think he's an elite quarterback. I think you have to keep him and I think you have to continue to placate him and give him a few toss him a few bones, things like that. Um, but I, I think trying to reset and rebuild without Russell Wilson, like it's gonna set the team back like a decade. I, I just don't see how that would be successful, especially based on like the way that they've drafted and, and used free agency uh, or use their their salary cap in free agency. Like if Russell Wilson leaves, I'm like I'm resigning myself to like a decade of Mediap- <laughs> mediocrity.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. man. I, Danny, I, t- I totally agree. Like I think, I don't know, to to, to paraphrase, uh, your fellow Seahawks luminary, Mina Kimes on this week's <laughs> slow news day, which everyone should watch if they haven't some delightful insight Absolutely. on, uh, Kevin's potential political career. <laughs> um, this is highly recommend it. Very entertaining viewing. You know, you can't really think about the future unless you know what role Russ plays in the future. And if Russ wants to be there, he should be like, in a way it is that simple. I think like to circle back to what Nora, you were identifying at the very beginning of the conversation, because this is kind of inextricable from assessing not only how to rebuild, but whether to rebuild like it's that question of, is this a blip and is this an aberration now on the one hand you could say, well, we're an hour deep into Uh, insights and observations from our guy DK about (laughs) how in in many recent seasons, the the record, the wins and losses have like belie actually the inability to field a a stronger improving team and that there has been this degradation of the product that actually is really concerning and maybe like a deeper, more entrenched reality and circumstance than the recent track record would indicate. But that recent track record is also not something we can ignore. Like since 2012, the the Seahawks only have that one sub 10 win season, right? They had nine wins in 2017. They've made the playoffs all but two seasons under Pete Carroll since he took over in 2010. They've only missed the playoffs once under Russell Wilson. Of course, none of that is accounting for, Inevitably missing the playoffs this year, but before this season, right? Right. They're like one of the poster franchises for sustained relevance over the past decade plus. So especially when you look at the injury to Russ, the missed time, the maybe lingering effects of that injury now, but also the injuries elsewhere, Carson, etc. Some of the issues on the line, the issues with the pass coverage on the defense, etc., it just, there's maybe just enough to hang on to, especially when Russell Wilson is still your quarterback, to say, well, why hit reset just yet? Like, give it one more yeah. go with Russ signed through 2023. And then that, I think, is like bolstered by what you said, Danny, which was one of the things I wanted to ask you about. I'm glad you mentioned it. It just becomes hard after running through that draft history to opt into a plan that is anchored on draft capital. like. Yeah. You know, Nora, you noted that Carol and Schneider are are signed through 25 and 27, respectively. On the one hand, it seems almost like sacrilegious and absurd to say, well, like, what what kind of faith can we put into that brain trust that, again, has been one of the most consistently excellent and dominant in the sport for a decade plus. But given that draft track record in recent seasons, if the entire reason you trade Russell Wilson... I mean, now maybe it's not the entire reason. Maybe part of the reason is just he's like, I don't want to be here anymore. And that's when right. it becomes untenable, right? right? You can't totally right. ignore that factor. But from a roster building perspective, the reason becomes, what can we gain from this superstar? Like, what can we try to cultivate here? First round picks, high picks, other players in return. Well, if they can't then develop those prospects, what's the point? So... I don't know how the conclusion after all of that is anything other than run it back one more time and hope that this was just a blip. But the last thing I want to say on that front then is that you you have to look at the rest of the division, which is fucking stacked. And like the calculus has just changed in the NFC West where it is no longer reasonable to expect coming into every year yeah, sure. The Seahawks do this. Now I say that as someone who until like two weeks ago was saying on this very podcast, I'm just (laughs) waiting for the Seahawks to turn it around and make the playoffs. Like we're just trained to think that that's how it will go. Even with, you know, a series of like playoff disappointments. Right. The Cardinals are like one of the stories of the season. The Niners are surging. The Rams have had a very weird few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just uh, uh, the like primacy bias instead of recency bias here with this season. And I'm a little too like reluctant to give up on the Rams. But I still think that oh, they I'm have with a you. legit shot of winning the Super Bowl this year. And that this will with you. be a weird little stretch that they'll recover from. Now, the Rams are not exactly built to win long term, given how all in they've gone. Right. Like talk about draft capital. I mean, they don't have any or believe that it's worth having any. So that's one thing, but like the division is just so loaded that the path to dominance is a little harder than it's been before. And that's a factor too, right? Yeah. It's a factor that the division is stacked. It's also a factor
2: that we need to mention that whether they have rest going forward or don't, the Seahawks will be working without a first round pick in the next (laughs) draft. And that brings us to our state farm, surprisingly great segment. Football wouldn't be the game we know and love without a few surprises. And one of the surprises of the season, and it relates to some of the struggles with the Seahawks that we've been talking about, is that the Jets currently, if the season ended today, would have the number four and number five overall picks in the draft. Number five is what they would get on their own if the season ended today. But number four is the first round pick from the Seahawks through the Jamal Adams trade, which certainly Seattle did not think that would turn out to potentially be so high a pick when they made that deal. <laughs> right, right.
0: Right.
2: But Danny, will you tell us a little bit since you are a draft expert, how you would potentially go about using some high value picks at the top of the draft. Mm-hmm. If you were the jets, just based on which players might be available there, but also how you would look at using those. If you had drafted a quarterback at number two, overall Zach Wilson, who hasn't yeah. done very well this year, but who you just spent, you know, a huge pick. on?
1: Right. I mean, I think that they are they're not going to give up on Zach Wilson this quickly. Obviously, he's uh, you know, they're going to give him a few years to develop like he has flashed some high level arm talent, all that stuff. I think that they're definitely going to um, continue down that road. Plus, they really hammered the offense hard in, in that draft. Uh, mm-hmm. They traded up for Elijah Vera Tucker. Elijah Moore, I think looks like a future superstar receiver. Um, yeah. Michael Carter, very good running back, I yeah. think. And, and they got a steal for him uh, in the fourth round. So if I were them, I would just hammer the defense. Like, this defense this year has been terrible. Um, the interplay between like how how much a good defense could help Zach Wilson long term, I think would be massive for them. So um, with four and five, and by the way, it's mind boggling that the Seahawks draft pick is higher than the Jets draft pick right now. Um, that's just great. Tough one. <laughs> really loving that. Um, four and five, you're, they're going to have an opportunity yeah. here to get like a blue chip or two defensive player. Like whether it's, um, right. Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, pass rusher, Aiden Hutchinson, pass rusher, uh corner like Derek Stingley. I think that there's so many options they have early on in the draft, especially if a couple quarterbacks sneak into the top few picks. Like we don't, we don't know how that will go. It happens pretty frequently. Like quarterbacks will rise late in the process. Yeah. Um, so they're going to have a chance to really bolster their defense here. And it's just working out perfect, f- perfectly for them. Like, it, I mean, I can't imagine they ever had in their wildest dreams, like a top five pick in mind when they traded with the Seahawks on, in that one. So, right. um, yeah, this is a huge, huge opportunity. They can't squander it, but they have an opportunity here to, uh, you know, lay the foundation for their team. So it's, it's going to be really exciting for the Jets fans.
0: Danny, any Jet consideration fans. given the two top five picks to trading down and trying to amass more picks and more capital given where the team is overall?
1: I mean, Ooh. I think that's definitely something that they should consider. You know, it, the draft is always such a crapshoot with, uh, you know, just the development of players, all that stuff, that having more darts to throw at the board is always going to be a good thing. I would say some, some people might not think this is, like, as good of a draft where you can trade back into, like, the teens or whatever and get as high a, like, quality of this player. Maybe, like, you want to stick in the top ten. But I would say, generally, like, if they can get a haul for that pick, if someone wants to trade up for a quarterback, mm-hmm. for instance... I would do it for sure. Just because you can get multiple, multiple guys. Plus they trade up, by the way, last year, they traded up for Elijah Vera Tucker. That wasn't cheap. So if they could kind of get back some of that draft capital, um, get
2: some of that back, get
1: more depth for, for the defense, get more depth for offense. Like that's going to really pay dividends down the line. So, um, at least one of them, I I think at least one of them, you you have the opportunity to trade back. You should do it.
2: Jets got to be happy about how that's shaping up. Mm Mm-hmm. Since we're talking about all things surprisingly great, we've got to shout out the good neighbors at State Farm for offering surprisingly great rates. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote today. All right. Danny, thank you for joining us. Thank you for diving <laughs> deep into your soul. Yeah. I hope you had. We should have I, I don't know if this is allowed, but we should have let you do this pod with, with a nice, stiff drink. I know
1: to
2: right? glass. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. true. That's true. I don't. I do not.
1: Um, I want to end I want to end real quick, though, before we go like a little bit of positivity. Like I, I do think we that with, with, with Russell Wilson in place, the like the Spirit, Seahawks
0: buddy, do,
1: they do have a, one thing that a lot of teams don't have, which is like a high functioning quarterback. Like right. he's really good. Yeah. Um, they have DK Metcalf, they have Tyler Luck, who they just signed to a long term deal. Um, I would say and I will note, obviously, I was very negative about like the draft and everything. The Seahawks last couple draft classes do have some promising players. Um, I would say like Daryl has come on really strong this year. Uh, he's looking really good. Um, Jordan Brooks, I think he's going to be a solid player for them at linebacker. I, I do think that uh, Trey Brown, even if he did get hurt, he hurt his knee, but he looked, he showed a lot of promise. So like, there are some things to be like encouraged about going forward. If the Seahawks can, like I said, turn some of these higher picks in the second, third, whatever, how many picks they have. I don't know um, if they can turn some of these guys into contributors. We've seen what the, the, patriots have done this year where they went big in free agency found some good players in free agency the seahawks can land a few good players in free agency and then hit on their draft picks like the patriots hit on all three of their top three draft picks then things can change pretty quickly so i will i'll leave that for all the seahawks fans who are pissed off at me right now like there is hope i think and and if they do end up keeping russell wilson it's not like you know i don't think i my bottom line is i don't think they need to just tear it down they just need to like do the things that the GMs do and coaches do, which is hit on draft picks. So Seahawks
2: yeah. Super Bowl 57 champs. There, we go. Here there we go. we are first Danny Kelly. This has been the ringer NFL show. Thank you to Danny and Mallory for joining. This has been so much fun. Ben Solak, Steven Ruiz and Kaylin Jones will be coming up next on this feed, previewing the week 13 games. Holy crap. It's week 13 this I Friday. I will be back Sunday night with Kevin Clark, Solak and Ruiz to break down all the week 13 action. Mal will be back on the Ringerverse feed with Joanna Robinson this Friday. Mallory, what are you guys talking about? Hawkeye. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. episode three.
0: What a show. It's great. Protect Lucky the Pizza Dog at all costs. Danny will be back
2: on the Ringer Fantasy Football feed on Sunday. Danny, what you guys got coming on that show?
1: Uh, We got prop bets coming up for Friday. And then we do the green rooms on Sunday. So tune in download the green room app come on we'll do start sit stuff with you we have a lot of fun with that and then we do winners and losers on sundays too
2: that sounds excellent yeah we will be back next thursday and every thursday most thursdays might might switch up the schedule for the holidays and we'll keep you guys posted on that our thanks as always to production assistant isaiah blakely for producing this episode and to arjuna Ramgopal for additional production supervision